It's time for InsureTalk with insurance industry tech geek and Guidewire chief evangelist, Laura Drabik. In this podcast series, we don't just talk about innovative ideas in PNC insurance. We talk with industry trailblazers about the big ideas they made happen and how they did it. If you're looking for insights on the trends and technologies reshaping the industry, an all-new InsureTalk starts now. Welcome to InsureTalk. My name is Laura Drabik, and I'm the Chief Evangelist at Guidewire. In this episode, I have the privilege of interviewing Wesley Todd, CEO of Claims Litigation Management Solution Provider and 2023 Guidewire InsureTech Vanguard's Pitch Day competition winner, Case Guide. The topic of our conversation today, claims litigation in the age of runaway costs. According to a 2023 report from Marathon Strategies, the number of nuclear verdicts that jury awards in excess of $10 million is more than doubled over the past three years. The median verdict in these cases jumped from $21 million in 2020 to more than $41 million last year. And overall, insurance litigation is up nearly 50% over the last five years. In today's discussion, we'll talk about all things claims litigation related and strategies insurers can use to reverse these costly trends. Hello, Wes. Welcome to InsureTalk. Hi, Laura. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. So, Wes, let's just dive into it here. Nuclear verdicts have had a seismic impact on the world of PNC insurance in recent years, and that's because they not only represent a sky-high financial burden for insurers and defendants, but they're also grossly disproportionate to the facts of the case, something that I can speak from experience having worked and managed litigation cases for an insurance carrier in my former life. The drivers behind this trend are numerous, including plaintiff attorneys who've leveraged so-called reptile theory to cast insurers as giant, uncaring corporations that prey on the little guy. Wes, help us understand how reptile theory works and why they're proving so powerful against insurers. Thanks, Laura. In the insurance world, in the technology world, in the legal world, for the most part, we operate on facts and reasoning, and we are logically working through things, process, automation, things like that. Attorneys used to do that too. What the reptile theory is, though, is a more recent contract, last couple of decades, where the plaintiff's attorneys, which I'll also call the plaintiff's bar and plaintiff's lawyer interchangeably here, they shift away from facts and reasoning, and they speak to their audience, which is a jury, knowing that the jury's going to make a decision with their hearts or out of fear rather than with logic. Long story short, it's a plaintiff lawyer say to the jury, this could have been you, and this will be you if you don't punish this big bad corporation and make them pay so much that they will never let this happen again. That's really the example of the reptile theory. And the plaintiff's bar has leveraged the reptile theory as they become more and more big business and less and less that professor-like practitioner that we used to see in TV shows. They're bad-mouthing the industry and corporations. They're very influential in the legislature and in the judiciary. And then they have these big outsized verdicts that you talked about, as well as taking big chunks of those away from those people. And it's not every lawyer that's doing these things, but that percent of lawyers that are leveraging things like the reptile theory, having an outsized impact in the world and in particular in the insurance industry. 
Yeah, that's a very powerful statement and approach. As you mentioned, you know, this could be you, this will be you. You know, Wes, I was actually representing the carrier in in litigation in my previous life and the attorney leveraged that approach. And I got to say, it hit me too. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that is very powerful. So thanks for sharing. Some of the most profound changes have occurred within the legal sector itself. And there's been an increase in third-party litigation funding, for instance. So this is when hedge funds and other financiers invest in lawsuits in exchange for a percentage of any settlement or judgment driving up the frequency of large claims. I got to tell you, Wes, this is shocking to me, and it's probably shocking to some of our listeners. It reminds me of how insurance started, where we all participated in the loss, but this is actually for a lawsuit, which is just repulsive. Wes, how big of a problem is this? It's very big, but at the same time, just in the first inning, Laura, it's really interesting to hear your experience too and your perspective, how you kind of likened it to the insurance side of things. As far as the issue here, I'll just tell you, I was on a call yesterday with one of the biggest insurers in the world, frankly, and they said every year they used to settle most of their cases in November and December. And I kind of remember that too from when I was a defense lawyer because plaintiff's lawyers wanted to go away for a vacation and they wanted to just wrap things up. And he said it's been absolutely crickets. And I've heard that from a lot of companies lately. And it's because, again, this is not mom and pop shops. This is big business. The plaintiff's bar now can leverage things like litigation finance to where their goal now becomes a return on investment, the highest possible outcome versus a reasonable compromise. So hedge funds, private equity, like you said, there's no need to compromise. In fact, there's no purpose in compromising. It's about investing. This is that big shift that we've seen where now every case is a trial case. And and now you're in a situation as the insurance company where everybody's incentivized to maximize the case outcome except you, because even your defense lawyers bill by the hour. So it is scary. And it has represented a big shift where almost like it feels like the insurance companies are the David and the plaintiff's bar are now the Goliaths. Yeah, it's powerful imagery. Above all else, there's the fact that the plaintiff lawyers and their consultants have been investing heavily in powerful data, analytics, and other technologies to identify and exploit liability opportunities, find new clients and favorable jury members, and potentially maximizing the impact of that reptilian behavioral science to influence jurors' emotions. So Wes, what are some of the consequences of these trends for P&C insurers in terms of premiums? Yeah, they're going to go up. But what about reserves, reinsurance costs, and so on? Yes. I want to really hammer this point home because this is a really good way to level set. The plaintiff's bar has their own version of what my company, Case Glide, has. And they have it across firms, not just by firm. They know what an adjuster is going to settle a case for, even though we don't. They know what a lawyer is going to settle a case for, even though we don't. But I will say the concept of a partner ecosystem is something that the plaintiff's bar doesn't have. They do have to make all those decisions individually on the plaintiff side and on the insurance side, we do kind of have a secret weapon, which is the partner ecosystem and the technology infrastructure where we may not be able to accelerate like the plaintiff's bar can with technology, but we could certainly level the playing field. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. So in Canada, there is what's called no fault and there's some states that have it as well. And I think people misunderstand the consumer, what no fault means. It means regardless of 
default, you are not able to litigate. And that really helps to control litigation and the funding going to lawyers. Of course, there are exceptions to that. But what is your thought on that, having more of a direct comp approach where we have more states or more countries moving towards reducing litigation through a no-fault coverage approach? What are your thoughts there? Super important question. We actually had no-fault repealed, and it went to the governor here, and he vetoed it because the hospitals came in and said, this would be too hard to administer. So this is super complex stuff. And then you see so many states have made so many areas of insurance public, California with comp, Florida with a lot of parts of property, you name it. So there are so many consequences of letting this litigation problem get out of whack. And there definitely are solutions. Ultimately, one day we're all going to realize it's not reasonable to have 20 people involved in every case and 12 jurors and five lawyers on each side. But this can take us a long time to get there. What happens along the way there, Laura, to your point with how the states have to react in real time to unavailability and unaffordability of insurance as we used to know it? So according to the American Property Casualty Association, or APCIA, one of the hardest hit sectors, surprising to me, was commercial trucking. In what the APCIA calls litigation abuse, the average size of verdicts against trucking firms surged 867% between 2010 and 2018. Between June 2020 and April 23, the average award in trucking lawsuits topped $27.5 million, while the average settlement was $10 million. Wes, what do you think is driving this? What's driving this is this has the highest frequency combined with highest limits. The plaintiff's bar knows this. And in today's world where they haven't fully deployed AI and they haven't been fully funded by hedge funds, they have to pick their battles. And so they pick the ones that give them the most money. Today, that's trucking because of the limits. You know, what's really interesting though, Laura, is to your point about how the regulators have to restructure the concept of insurance. Trucking's already seen it happen. I was at the big trucking convention, talking with truckers, talking with leaders, and they don't really have insurance. So they have these high deductibles, and then they have this layer that the insurer does pay. But most of their claims fall below the deductible because it's super high. So basically, this is like another example where insurance just like leaves and, you know, maybe they haven't left it fully, but they've left the most insurable, the highest premium part of it, which is that first layer of every trucking claim. But the insurers still are leaving those high limits in above that threshold, you know, 750, 51 million, something like that. So the plaintiff's lawyers are spending all their time on that because they know they could just extract that amount of money from the insurance industry every chance that they get. Awesome. Such great information. When we come back after this short break, we'll continue our conversation with Wesley Todd, CEO for Case Guide. So stay tuned. Digging in Sure Talk with Laura Drabick? Be sure to subscribe on Amazon, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're at it, rate the show on Apple Podcasts and let us know how we're doing. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Insure Talk. This is Laura Drabick, and I'm talking with Wes Todd, CEO for Claims Litigation Management Solution Provider, Case Glide, about the state of claims litigation and tools for winning the arms race with plaintiff attorneys. Wes, before launching Case Glide, you were an insurance industry defense attorney. We probably would have worked together in my previous life working for a very large carrier. And according to your LinkedIn story, you spent 2,400 hours a year defending claims, drafting pleadings, preparing reports, taking depositions, arguing hearings in court, you name it, you did it. While there was a lot you loved about the job, you've written that there were also a lot of challenges. There was a low hourly rate, managing cases 
cases using emails was not, I guess, a joy of the job. Wasting time tracking work hours. You saw litigation adjusters share many of the same frustrations. And after you've had it with all the bedlam, you spent 20,000 hours learning everything you could about claims litigation and insurance defense in order to build a claims litigation platform. And I quote, save the industry through technology. You said that 99% of what you learned along the way didn't surprise you, but the 1% left you shocked. Can you explain what you meant by that to our listeners? Sure, Laura. And I'd like to say that some of that's like marketing speak, but you could ask my wife who's a COO and she'll tell you begrudgingly that all that stuff is true, unfortunately, about me. So um, that 1% that shocked me though, Laura, was that there was no such thing as litigation data and the whole industry suffered. I'll give two stories. The first story is this my first day as a lawyer. I could barely make myself dinner and an adjuster from a top five insurance company asked me what we should settle an auto accident case for. And I I was blown away. I was only a day into the legal field, but I did have common sense and I couldn't believe that some company that had settled millions of these was asking me how much to settle a case for. And there's another story that's really, I think that was a turning point for my career, which is when I started winning cases, meaning I would either go to court in front of a judge or jury and actually get a zero so that our client, the insurance company or their insured wasn't liable. And no one cared. The insurance company, the only data they had was my expense. So they would be middle of the road expense. So they would sell this looks like every other case. And then, of course, my firm, you don't get any bonus for doing well. In fact, you can't bill on the case anymore. And now you're talking about 20, 30 years of this litigation crisis and no corresponding data. And it's resulted in a real problem for an industry that wants to rely on adjusters and lawyers to do something for them, but hasn't really told them what they want and how they're going to measure that. It's cool to have the opportunity to finally right that wrong and start being able to show the value that these adjusters and attorneys bring to the industry. And then you talk about a partner ecosystem and cloud agility, be able to deploy that and apply that so quickly. So the lack of litigation data is is an enormous problem that blew me away. But now I'm a little bit optimistic that we could turn that around. Yeah, that gives us a glimmer of hope. And I'm sure everyone from an insurance carrier that's listening right now probably feels the same way. In the company I used to work for, we would scour claim files and then a month later, bring back some of the data. But by the time we got it, it was stale. We're using this month old data to make decisions for the future moving forward on litigation. The fastest thing that we would do, Wes, is walk around the office and who's good at this? What's a great attorney for this? Who's best at this? Who gets this type of settlement? And it was all tribal knowledge that we shared instantaneously, which is something that is subjective, but I can see where there's a great opportunity for data providers to do some great objective work here. So you've broken the evolution of claims litigation management technology into discrete areas. And it's what you call claims litigation 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, and now 4.0. Walk us through these areas and what they have meant for PNC insurers in the battle against well-funded plaintiff attorneys and profiteers. Sure. The claims litigation 1.0 to 4.0 was really like a claims litigation specific domain concept for those folks to understand because they're not used to the really dynamic roadmaps that the rest of the insurance ecosystem is 
on. But Laura, you talk about going around the office. That's how things used to be in the law firms too. And we used to send faxes and letters and phone calls, if you can believe that. We might even see each other in person every so often. And so that's 1.0. That's a starting point. And that was like right when I started. Then there was this era of digital invoicing. The industry was looking for something and some players brought them digital invoicing. And that led to some kind of standardization, at least on the lawyer's billing side, which makes me want to yawn. But that was actually like a big thing for a while. And then we were able to apply that same digitization and standardization to the actual case, the process, the data fields, and then the incorporation of the different people involved and then turning that into insights. And that was the 3.0. That was bridging from 2.0 to 3.0, which is applying the same innovation and expense to the actual outcome of the case, the settlement, the indemnity. And then 4.0 was bringing that all together because even though we have the full billing suite, we felt that it was a distraction for most insurance companies. We still realized it was so core to how they processed the invoicing that you needed to combine all those things together, which can create a world for actually incentivizing outcomes or incentivizing early resolution. So you combine the expense and the actual litigation and the users on the same platform. And that's how we got from 1.0 to 4.0, Laura. So leveling the claims litigation playing field is crucial to a healthy functioning insurance market. And in my view, that requires us to reframe social inflation and those reptilian impulses as basically human risk. In other words, we've got to view it the same way we view apparel that we can analyze and even predict and much the same way we do traditional risks such as natural catastrophes and then act accordingly. Doing that requires transforming how claims teams work with defense counsel, creating a single unified source of truth with all relevant case files, notes, and emails. So teams can make very informed decisions in real time. It also requires the ability to quickly identify the best candidates for settlements, as well as find the right counsel for the right case, all of which is possible using Guidewire and ecosystem members like Case Glide. Wes, what should claims leaders think about when contemplating this kind of transformation? Like you said, insurance is no longer insurance if you can't predict it. And your experience shows through here, there are obvious use cases at the doorstep for every insurer. What the claims leaders have to do is listen to what those transformation teams are saying. The transformation teams are talking with the claims leaders and the claims leaders say, I do not need another tool for the 80-20 of frequency. I need a tool for the 80-20 of severity. I feel very good about my automation, my workflow, my segmentation on my FNOL first few days, getting that claim closed. But all my expense is happening in severity and we have to tackle this monster that's been deprioritized. And the claims leaders and a transformation team need to bring in the litigation leader and explain to them what a roadmap is and start creating a litigation roadmap. Us out in technology and in other areas of insurance know what a roadmap is. You know, data, processes, quality, performance metrics, partners, all these steps along the way to automation, analytics, AI. This is going to take a while. And it's more of a people issue than a technology issue. This is the unusual place where you could deploy things tomorrow and see a drastic ROI. But if you ask me, what's the the advice claims leaders should bring. It's the prioritization identification of a litigation roadmap so that for the first time ever, these folks can be given the space and the time and the objective to start to attack this problem proactively instead of dealing with the millions and, and oftentimes billions of litigation that they're forced to deal with reactively. You know, Wes, you're not the first person that I've interviewed to mention the issue isn't technology, it's actually people. We recently had a guest on who actually talked about the same thing 
saying with regards to projects and a very similar question here. Is there any advice you would give specifically on the people issue? Yes. I think that the big thing here is the subject matter experts here have never been involved in the strategy of the company. And so we have to work together. If these two folks work together, they're going to uncrack the biggest value attainment in a long time in this industry. We got to break down that silo. And I think that it's about collaboration across these really talented people that need to learn from each other and just bring them to the table and be patient and start working through this thing. So in your view, how can technologies like this be used to curb the kind of legal system abuse that's leading to what some are now calling thermonuclear verdicts as high as $7 billion in the past 36 months? Yes. So we talked about a few things, right, Laura? We talked about what happened in Florida, which was around the publishing of litigation data. You know, the interesting thing about insurance is you can make tweaks here and there to try to outperform your competitors, but ultimately insurance can't be perfect at every type of business, which is required to really process an entire line of insurance when you think of construction and health. So the ultimate backstop is regulators. If we start to take the responsibility on of having an actual litigation data set, So we know what's actually happening, where this money's going. We want to bring this to the regulators first, because if we come to the regulators, and the first thing they're going to ask for is, where's the data? It's happened in Florida, and it's going to happen everywhere else. If we don't have the data to show how much legal system abuse there is, all they're going to do is they're going to say, okay, well, the response is a data call, and it probably won't go well. So we have the opportunity now to get ahead of that. And then once you demonstrate in advance that a big chunk of the costs are for man-made catastrophes, then the regulators regulators have what they need to reform the laws slightly or reform the process slightly to avoid those thermonuclear verdicts and make it a more efficient process than it currently is. Fantastic. Thanks, Wes. On the other side of this break, we'll continue the conversation, so don't go anywhere. Loving InsureTalk with Laura Drabik? For more expert insights and inspiration, subscribe to Laura's email newsletter at drabikdigest.com, your one-stop resource for Laura's latest blog posts, videos, podcasts, articles, and more. That's www.drabikdigest.com. Now let's get back to the show. And welcome back. This is InsureTalk with Laura Drabik, and we're talking with Wesley Todd, CEO of Case Guide. Wes, we've talked about how leveraging a cloud-based insurance platform like Guidewire and ecosystem partners like CaseGlide can help lower costs and improve litigation outcomes. To fully level the playing field with highly tech-enabled plaintiff attorneys, carrier defense teams will need to find ways to counter things like forum shopping, where plaintiffs file lawsuits in specific jurisdictions where cases tend to result in more favorable verdicts. Or Jury anchoring, where plaintiffs set a specific reference point or anchor on the value of damages at the beginning of the proceeding to artificially influence the jury's estimation of value. There are courtroom maneuvers to help counter this, but how should defense counsel be leveraging advanced analytics to increase the chances of success in that? Yeah, great question. And really, I think a call to the industry here because a defense attorney will have a handful of cases with a handful of carriers. Ultimately, the combination of all that is where the data becomes valuable and then can be handed down like an ecosystem play. Ultimately, the way I view it, Laura, is that the first step is there has to be a litigation API. You have to connect these lawyers and these insurance companies so that all of those things that have happened within the insurance company can happen outside. All the things Guidewire brought 
on the claims automation and segmentation can then make its way to the lawyers so that they are no longer transcribing what's going on in one system and putting it in another. You probably experienced this too in your past career that you get specialists. So when they are facing that high profile attorney in that high profile jurisdiction, that case can travel via API to many different places. And one of those places might be specialists in trial or specialists in dealing with that particular plaintiff's lawyer. The real holy grail here is what we're doing with the litigation API to connect these insurers so that that case can actually travel. We can create an ecosystem of partners just like there are on the claim side, on the litigation side, so that the attorneys and adjusters not only one day move past all the admin work that they have now, but then move towards an ecosystem where you have these specialists and they can go toe to toe with the plaintiff's bar and the creativity you could see from them because their incentives are one thing and that's execute and get as much money as possible. My sister is in the insurance industry. She is a complex litigation representative and every single one of her files is litigated. She comes with 30 years of experience and works the toughest cases. And although the compensation is amazing, she has a very dim view of human behavior now and has gone from a very happy person with an optimistic view on life to now being incredibly negative. How do you recommend that these complex litigation representatives that work for the carrier and litigation teams, how do they protect their mindset and their optimism of human behavior? This is huge. I'll tell you what's really going on here. When you don't have litigation data and your only incentive for the defense lawyer is to bill by the hour, then they over 5, 10, 15, 20 years are going to become more and more negative about the plaintiff because that's how they make money. We all would like to say that we're good people and we don't do things for money, but when you will make more money by going to trial and spending $100,000 of the insurance company's money, and it kind of aligns with your, I almost want to say sales tactic of saying that you're the guy or gal that holds a tough line, you become toxic. And then your job is to persuade the adjuster to also have that same level of suspicion about the plaintiff. And it just becomes a loop. Yes, it's extremely difficult to undo. I think the best advice is be to hold out hope because kind of shifting gears a little bit. I heard you say it on a podcast recently talking about instead of AI, thinking about IA, intelligence augmented, that perhaps at least she can offload all the little things that she has to do in three, four, five years as part of that litigation roadmap and get to a place where she's looking at an AI generated video of potential jury pool and she's making really strategic decisions about where this case is going to wind up. And it's all hand fed to her in a way that leverages her expertise because she really is probably a multi-million dollar business as far as the liability she manages. And that's where we need to get to is to start undoing some of these broken processes and broken reward systems. And it is very smart, capable people. They just need to be empowered over the long term instead of held their feet to the fire in the short term on not having adverse development on this one case this year. It's tough. Yeah, it is tough. Sage input. So what other critical advice would you give claims leaders and defense teams exploring the use of litigation management technologies? What do they need to consider? I think I'll echo one more time, just commit to that litigation roadmap. The claims litigation folks have never had an objective given to them, time to tackle it. And the tool set that we talked about that comes from that transformation team or that IT team to allow them to really proactively address this problem, that is going to change the reward system. You know, 
know, maybe your, your sister could think about that. Like thinking about how do we undo this so the next generation isn't in the same situation. I think the idea is, is a litigation roadmap. And I think that whoever takes that on, assuming things play out the way we think they're playing out, where there will be a significant investment in the near future into litigation at, around the PNC industry, those people are going to be very valuable, whether it's within their own insurer or in the market, because this problem is a blank space right now. And those folks that develop the roadmap and learn how to execute on it in litigation will be few and far between and will be able to demand very rewarding careers. So I think litigation roadmap is the key in developing those leaders. So Case Glide was the winner of our second annual Guidewire InsureTech Vanguard's Pitch Day competition in November of last year. Congratulations again. Thank you. Wes, walk us through your experience of the InsureTech Vanguard's Pitch Day competition in Vegas. What you learned from the competition and your fellow competitors. I am so grateful for this, Laura, and I know the individual contribution that you've made to create this. I'll tell you exactly like what was going through my mind at this amazing opportunity to pitch in Vegas in front of all these major players, thanks to you, Laura. So leading up to that night, I had had probably 15 insurance companies in a row tell me that they would not sign with us until we were integrated with Guidewire. So you invite me to this pitch in Vegas. And you know whether I thought about it at the time or not, basically everything was on the line. If I win, probably going to get those 15 insurers, probably going to get 50 more. No pressure, right? And then you get there and it's a group of noisy, excited insurance nerds, just like you and I, the drinks are flowing, people that you've followed for years, big stars in the industry. And then we decided to go alphabetical order and I have to go first. So whew, it was a crazy night. It's totally changed our company's trajectory and you and your team really helped us get ready for that and supported us. And wow, it's been such an amazing experience. Thank you. Well, you can blame me for the going in alphabetical order. I couldn't think of another fair way to do it. And you know what? You let off and you you had the majority of the insurance audience votes as registered through our QR code voting app. So well done yet again. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Wes, thank you so much for your time today and for your incredible insights. You've shown us it's not just about ideas. It's about making ideas happen. Thanks, Laura. Tune in next time for an all-new episode of Insure Talk with Laura Drabik, brought to you by Guidewire, the platform PNC insurers trust to engage, innovate, and grow efficiently. For more information, visit guidewire.com.